0: This is Recorded Future, Inside Threat Intelligence for Cybersecurity. Hello,
1: everyone, and welcome to episode 159 of the Recorded Future podcast. I'm Dave Bittner from the Cyberwire. Our guest is Chris Cochran, Threat Intelligence and Operations Lead at Netflix, and co host of the Hacker Valley podcast. We discuss his career in cybersecurity from his ambitious beginnings as a student his service in the U.S. Marine Corps and his time at U.S. Cyber Command as a member of the team pioneering threat intelligence before it was even known by that name. He shares his thoughts on leadership as well as his development of an intelligence framework that goes by the acronym Easy. Stay with us.
0: So, growing up, I've always been interested in technology. I think it really started around the Terminator Two era. I wanted to build Skynet, but for good purposes, not <laughs> not to take over the world and 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 go to go to war. Uh, I fell in love with technology, and I, I wanted to build robots. So I started out with one of those kits where you could turn into anything. You could turn into an alarm system. You could turn into a, a AM radio, and I was just fascinated with technology, and that really just stuck with me throughout my years. I remember Mm -hmm. taking apart computers and looking at components and figuring out how exactly computers work. And I remember I had transferred schools uh, from one school district to another. And in this new school, they had a program where your kids could actually get their networking certification. And Mm I had missed a cutoff and I wasn't able to enter this program. And I was like, man, this would have been a great opportunity to really explore that technology passion that I had. And I asked some of my friends that were in the program. I said, hey, you know, I really want to get into this computer stuff, like, you know, officially. You know, what can I do? And they said, go get a book. And so I took my back-to-school clothes money because I needed new clothes for the new school (laughs) I was going to. And I spent every last dollar on a CompTIA A-plus certification book. So this talked about computer components and things like that. And I read it like a novel, like just page to page You know really trying to absorb as much information as I could and so I would go back to my friends and they I would ask these questions they say wow you're really picking this stuff up and so uh, you know let's skip ahead a little bit so before we do though how how old were you at this time or what what, what era of school are you in here yeah this was the middle of high school at this point okay and if we skip ahead a little bit uh, when I was decided to join the the Marine Corps I was like three years into college and I was a philosophy major. I was fascinated with logic and argumentation and things like that and you know reading about these great philosophers back in the day and you know by my third year I realized I might not be able to make a great living with philosophy so I uh, <laughs> right right yeah mm. I decided to join the Marine Corps a uh, huge 180 and um I joined the Marine Corps I did pretty well in the ASVAB and they said you you have the pick of the litter you can do whatever you want I originally wanted to be a scout sniper for the Marine Corps uh, hmm. But I I saw this thing that said intelligence, and I was like, Oh wow, I think I'm I'm a pretty smart guy. I, maybe I should try out this intelligence stuff. So not having any clue what intelligence was, I picked it. I go through boot camp. I'm asking my drone instructors, Hey, what what is this intelligence thing? And they're like, I don't know. You know, it, like it just <laughs> no one had any clue. I don't know but i've been told yeah <laughs> exactly <laughs> um and so uh, i finally you know start working and i go to the national security agency as like my first real duty station and so they taught me all of the tradecraft of intelligence you wow. know doing you know supporting the marine corps and then ultimately i get out of the marine corps uh and i go to the newly formed united states cyber command and this is where I really start to get into the nitty gritty of all source analysis and what is now known as threat intelligence today. I've built a company that does threat intelligence uh, support and, and building capabilities. I've been with you know the, the majority of the, the consultancies out there that do threat intelligence. And that's really been the, the cornerstone of my entire career.
1: Can you take us through uh, your your experience in the military? Because it sounds like you were among that group of people who were really pioneering this notion of threat intelligence within the intelligence community. What insights can you share from that part of your journey?
0: Yeah, so actually when I started doing it, it do, to be completely transparent, I thought that if I ever you know, had to leave the government that I would have to just start from scratch because I didn't think that threat intelligence was going to be a thing that was going to be applied to people in uh, the commercial industry. And lo Mm. and behold, this APT1 report comes out from Mandiant uh, about 2013. This is about uh, three years into my stint at Cyber Command. And all of a sudden, threat intelligence became the, the new hotness. It was the buzzword in the industry and i was like wow you know i i do have a future in the stuff that i've been doing uh and but in parallel to doing all that i went back to school i i switched my my focus to uh to have a little bit more uh technical focus and so i got my minor in cybersecurity. but i kept all my philosophy classes so i ended up majoring in humanities but that combination you know supported my my craft right the ability to to argue and have logic to the the assessments that I was making from a threat intelligence perspective and yeah it, it just seemed like everything kind of came together it, it was kind of a right place at the right time and the right preparation
1: yeah i mean that that's a really interesting part of the story I, there's many people who i've spoken to who have had uh, un, unconventional approaches to uh, Cybersecurity and threat intelligence, and and so forth. And as, as you say, you know, studying philosophy—I mean, that's a
0: whole mindset. It's a way of thinking, but it does apply to this area. Absolutely, and one hundred percent. So, one thing that I, I'll give to to your listeners to all, also take back to their workspace is uh, there's this thing called the the Socratic method, and what it is, it's a, a style of argumentation where you're asking questions to actually get to a point. So whenever you have, like, those tough stakeholders from a threat intelligence perspective that feel like they don't need threat intelligence or they think threat intelligence is a waste of time and resources, uh, what you can do is you can start to ask questions. Like, you can ask a question like, uh, can you think of a time where you wish you had a piece of information to make a better decision, but you didn't have it because you didn't have that visibility? And so I'm sure that that could apply to anybody in any function, and so once you start that, that that question asking and you start to define what their needs are and you find out what their definitions are, then you can actually start to apply some of that logic to how you would support them from a threat intelligence perspective.
1: Yeah, you know, it also strikes me uh, the importance of just having that set of communications tools in your back pocket to to speak to both the people who... You're in charge of as a leader, but also the folks above you when you have to explain everything you're up to.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think that communication is one of the most important aspects of threat intelligence, but also it's one of the most important aspects of life in general, like being able to communicate with your kids, your spouse, uh, your you know, superiors to the male person that delivers your mail to the person that's you know delivering your food, being able to communicate effectively. And being able to meet people where they are is super important to get anything done in life.
1: You know, the story that you share about uh, choosing to enter the military um, is a common one that we hear from a lot of folks in cybersecurity. Um, And it strikes me that that really opened up a lot of doors for you and, and provided a lot of opportunities, particularly... Uh, for that level of training, that on-the-job training that the the military, it seems to me, provides a lot of those opportunities that maybe you wouldn't have gotten in the private sector.
0: Absolutely, one hundred percent. And I am am a big, big supporter of people entering the military, any branch. You know, serve your country, or, or particularly any any country, really. You know, support. You know, we're we're all service members at the end of the day. I've spoken to people from all over the country, and when I say that I was in the United States Marine Corps. They say thank you for your service, even though they're not from our particular nation. And I think that's something that bonds all service people together. And so, yeah, if you have the opportunity to get training, uh, while they also supply your meals, they make sure you you take care of yourself. You have to stay in shape. Uh, they they basically are the training wheels of adulthood. Like when I went mm-hmm. to college, I felt like. I had to kind of figure out everything on my own. Like, I, you know, things were neglected. I had to, you know, have a lot of hard lessons during that time. But when I went to the military, it's they kind of uh, crisp-proofed it, for lack of a better term. <laughs> they, they made sure that I, I went to the doctor once a year and got my dental checkups and paid all my bills and all these things while giving me the, the requisite skills to prepare me for, you know, life after the Marine Corps.
1: Yeah, that's fascinating because I think uh, certainly most of us probably think of the Marine Corps as being a place where there's a lot of uh, physical discipline, but there's that mental and emotional component as well.
0: Yeah, that's one of the things that I think sharpened the most, aside from my um, my um, six-pack abs, is uh, at the <laughs> at boot camp, I, I definitely had to find another gear of mental toughness because it, it's such a unique scenario being, you know, separated from all the people that you've known your entire life, being shoved into this highly intense environment where constantly having to to second guess and and respond to orders and it really sharpens your your mental toughness. It's it's almost like there's no option but to succeed your mission. And so that often applies to the things that I'm doing you know, with my podcast, Hacker Rally Studio, or in my workplace, it's, you know, there is nothing but mission and accomplishment that's on my mind, and we have to do whatever we have to do to get it.
1: Well, take us through uh, your career path after the military.
0: Yeah, so after the military, I went to United States Cyber Command for about five years, and I was leading a team uh, that was a mix of contractors and military members and government civilians, And this is where I really started to hone my leadership skills. I had some leadership skills from the Marine Corps, but this is now an an opportunity for me to lead different flavors of people from different backgrounds. And uh, that's where I really developed this notion that I I am a decent leader and this is a skill set that I wanna learn. And so I became like a student of leadership, reading about the great leaders of the world, you know, your Barack Obamas, your uh, Stanley McChrystals, Admiral McRaven, you know, all those, you know, great leaders that you hear about. And mm-hmm. so I decided after, you know, we I left Cyber Command to start my own company with a few friends. And this is when I really got into the commercial side of what threat intelligence is, some of the appliances that we use or, or the solutions that we use. And I started to learn more about other facets of cybersecurity centric. So what is vulnerability management? What is incident response, what is threat hunting, all these things. And so I kind of pivoted from place to place, learning little bits about each, you know, function within cybersecurity. And I think that being in threat intelligence, you have a great opportunity to actually learn about a lot of different functions within cybersecurity because you are supporting all of these roles with intelligence. And so you need to learn what they're doing in order to best support them. And I think that's really given me a huge leg up and then to pivot from having my own thing to going around uh, from different consultancy. I was at Mandiant for a little bit. I was at Booz Allen Hamilton and I really got to see different environments and I feel like this plethora of experiences and different environments and things like that really gave me a leg up. And then that's when uh, about the time that Netflix came calling and asked me to come lead that function for the company.
1: Yeah, so you you've uh, you've worked in threat intelligence at Netflix. Do you have any uh, interesting insights to share from that experience? Certainly, it's a it's a company we're all familiar
0: with. It's funny. I I ended up creating a, a framework, and not because I was like, "Oh, I'm so wise. I'm going to teach everybody something." It was actually because I had to go back to the drawing board when I came over to Netflix. I you know largely had been on the East Coast, a lot of traditional cybersecurity, architecture, solutions, things like that. But when I got over to Netflix, everything was so different. The people were different. The, the, the processes were different. The technology was different because it was all technology. A lot of it's technology that Netflix internal uh, employ, employees built. And so I had to go back to the drawing board because, there, there you know, when I came in, there was no uh, security operations center. There was no SIM that people were using for alerts and things like that. So I was, a lot of the things that I, was kind of my go-to whenever I go to a new place didn't exist. And so I, I was like, oh, my gosh, I have to go back to the drawing board on how I can actually have an impact on this great organization. And I came up with uh, this acronym uh, called Easy. It's the Easy framework. Some people call it the Easy button, uh, and it's E for illicit requirements. Right, you have to find out what the requirements are for your stakeholders. That's how you build the basis for your threat intelligence program. A assess collection plan. This is the the collection plan to support all of the needs of the people that you're supporting. And so you need to know where to look. Whether it's a premium fee that you're you're using, like a recorded feature, or maybe you're looking at Uh, Twitter feeds for, you know, different researchers across the field. Uh, Maybe it's internal information. And then this S, strive for impact. This was one of the biggest uh, misses uh, when it came to intelligence that I've seen. I've done it, you know, when I was younger in my career, and I saw other people do it when I was assessing other folks' Intel uh, programs. They were missing the strive for impact part. They were giving good information and people were reading it and giving it a thumbs up. But what was the impact? What did the intelligence materially change within that organization? And then the why is yield the feedback. So, you know, creating that feedback loop. Hey, is this until what you need, or do I need to pivot? You know, as you iterate on that feedback, you constantly get better. It's kind of like the that movie with Tom Cruise, The um, Edge of Tomorrow. Live, die, repeat. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, he kept you know dying in this in this movie, and every time he died, he got a little bit better a little bit better and by the end he was like this you know battle-hardened warrior that was able to do amazingly uh incredible things and it's because he was able to iterate through and so that's what feedback does for threat intelligence that's what it does for cybersecurity, and that's what it does for life
1: what are your recommendations for organizations that are just getting started with threat intelligence what sort of advice would you have for them
0: yeah i would say for organizations that are just started If you can hire somebody to support your threat intelligence needs great if not check out some vendors uh some vendors can double as your uh you know cyber or your threat intelligence arm and support you in the things that uh, you need to be aware of from a threat perspective but just start small don't don't think that you have to have everything all at once uh you know look at maybe two or three your most critical assets and think about what threats might uh, be coming after those assets and then look at threat intelligence that are around that look at the uh, Different ISEX that you might belong to in your industry Look at what some of the other folks are, are having to combat and then you can just use that as your Indications and warnings if we uh, could go back to my, my military days of what could be coming uh, your way And that's how you would start with any threat intelligence How do you approach leadership itself? What is your leadership style? So my leadership style, and I've heard people call it different things. I've heard people call it servant leadership or supportive leadership. I really want to support the people that work with me. Uh, I I feel like I don't wanna say that they work for me, like I tell them what to do. They work with me and I wanna support them the best way that I can to make sure that they are getting job satisfaction, they're getting job training, they are going above and beyond uh, what they thought was even possible. Give them encouragement challenge them, give them critical feedback when, when it's needed, and just help them grow. Uh, when I was a lot younger, I had a hard time giving uh, feedback to folks when something well, was a challenge or maybe there was a deficiency in some area. But then I, I kind of grew to realize that if I don't give them this feedback and no one does, they're not going to grow. And so I'd be doing them a injustice uh, or injustice if I didn't you know, give them that feedback. And so being as supportive as I can and whatever they want out of life and out of their career, uh, that's what I'm here to do.
1: Yeah, that's really interesting because I think it's it's so easy for a lot of people to to have this approach where you, you don't want to hurt someone's feelings. So you're sensitive to other people's feelings. So maybe you'll hold back with criticism. But in the long run, that might not be the best thing for them.
0: You know, I wish everything could be happy. I wish everybody could be at 100% at all times. I wish everyone had all the requisite skills and knowledge that they need. But, you know, people have deficiencies. I, I have deficiencies. I have things that I'm constantly working on. I have things that I might not ever be great at, but it's something that I work towards. And so I appreciate it when people give me that feedback because I, I, it might be something I didn't even think of. Like, oh wow, I, I never thought of it that way. Let me look into the resources that I have access to to improve upon that. Our thanks to Chris Cochran for joining us. Don't forget he is co-host
1: of the Hacker Valley podcast. Check it out. Don't forget to sign up for the Recorded Future Cyber Daily email, where every day you'll receive the top results for trending technical indicators that are crossing the web. Cyber news, targeted industries, threat actors, exploited vulnerabilities, malware, suspicious IP addresses, and much more. You can find that at recordedfuture.com slash intel. We hope you've enjoyed the show and that you'll subscribe and help spread the word among your colleagues and online. The Recorded Future podcast production team includes coordinating producer Monica Tadros, executive producer Greg Barrett. The show is produced by The Cyberwire with editor John Petrick, executive producer Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening.